is Odin Maxwell. I run the onagama-west.com website. I fire an Onagama kiln in northwest Washington state, and I've decided I'd like to start a series of podcasts in which I interview wood-fire potters, probably mostly Onagama potters, but people who do other kinds of wood-fire as well. All wood-fire kilns are interesting. Recently, I interviewed Michael R. Morris. By way of background, he lives in east-central Pennsylvania, and he's recently built an Onagama kiln for himself. He's fired it a couple times and has another firing coming up this spring. He's uh, looking for stokers. His contact info is at the end of the podcast. He studied archaeology in undergraduate school and then got a master's in photography, but he's given all of that up and decided to focus exclusively on onagama firing. So let's get to our discussion. Mike, let's just start with you. Uh, tell, tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you get into pottery, for example? Um, I got a little, a little funny story here. Um, I can remember when I was an undergrad sitting in like an art history lesson and falling asleep while they were probably talking about uh, Carl Beamer's Anagama outside of Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania. And I can kind of remember, like, as an extra credit question on an art history test, um, what is an Anagama? And I was kind of like, oh, I think that's Carl Beamer and it's a pottery kiln. Um, I guess the funny thing is I had no interest in it at that time and went through and, you know, finished my bachelor's in archaeology and then went on to get my master's in photography and I had taken like three courses total in pottery didn't really do anything spectacular and um, I decided well I didn't decide I thought I was going to go to Kutztown University and you know become a great art educator and that's a whole nother story but that summer, I contacted a guy by the name of uh, Jim Cheney because I found out he had an anagama and asked to do an independent study with him. And basically from there, it was downhill with my obsession, you know, until I started building my own in 2003. Now, when you wanted to do this independent study with him, was it like just to fulfill some credits or something you needed to do? Or was it because you really wanted to work on that particular camera um, with that guy? I was really sick of photography and the fact that it was headed towards digital and the fact that I was tr trained in a uh, you know traditional setting, darkroom film, negatives, all that good stuff. So I was like, I need to get my hands on some three-dimensional stuff. So it just kind of seemed like, oh, let's do pottery. I have you know slight interest and let's just see where it goes. Let's see what happens when I fire with this guy. So when did you figure out you were obsessed with it? Um, probably maybe two days or three days into the first firing <laughs> in like, I don't know, what was that, like 2000 or 2001, I think. What, what made you, what caused that spark? Um, the interaction with the kiln, both with loading and then firing, just how the whole kiln goes from this dormant, you know, inanimate object to this breathing, you know, fire-breathing dragon. It's just, it's awesome. What sorts of things did you do in your independent study? Um, you know, basically, I just started coil building from the word go. I really didn't have any interest 
you know, and throwing on the wheel. Um, you know, I just made forms that were organic in nature, and, you know, we talked about them about once a week, you know, the forms and where they were headed. We talked about, you know, splitting wood, preparing wood. We talked a little about pictures that he had about building his kiln, but, um, really we never went into any depth in the two semesters that I spent with him. It was pretty much just brushing along the surface of the whole idea of Anagama and, you know, their purpose and what, what do you mean where by do that? you think they might go. What do you mean by that, brushing along the surface? Um, not really talking about, you know, refractories or what to use for material other than, you know, you got hard brick, you know, you use a form and stuff like that. I think the thing that helped me most was he had given me a book, the book by uh, Jack Troy, uh, Woodfired Stoneware and Porcelain, and that helped a lot. And then from there, I looked at a couple other kiln books, probably, yeah, I can't even remember. The Fred others. Olson's? Um, I think Olson's, because I hadn't come across the book that you had translated until well, after my kiln was trans built. She already translated. I edited. Okay. I edited. Yeah, so the Michio book, I hadn't, I mean, I had already fired my kiln once when I got a hold of that. Gotcha. Tell, tell me about your kiln. What, what are its dimensions and stuff like that? Um, roughly from the inside of the front wall to the bag wall is about 14 feet long. Um, 11 feet of that is stackable with shelving with the first three feet, you know, being firebox. I have two slender areas that are about four to six inches wide on both sides of the firebox. But I can put like tea bowls and, uh, smaller, like taller, like things about no more than a foot. Um, in general, the widest point I think is somewhere around six feet at the widest and at its highest it's about four feet four inches tall um i just got done rebuilding a chimney that's about 14 and a quarter or 14 and a half inches uh square on the inside diameter and it topped out at right around 10 feet so far with it can have an extension put on the top of up to four feet if I need more draw. Um, other than that, it's half above ground, half below ground. There's probably a good 150 tons of uh, a hard earthenware clay around it. And um, that's about it. I mean, I'm sure pretty soon um, pictures will be available. What made you decide to build your own kiln? Um, having worked with, like, Jim Chaney, what, for four firings total, two while I was in school at Kutztown and two afterwards, there came to a point where I needed to have complete control over my work. Um, just making your work and transporting it to someone else's kiln, you're at, you know... You want to fire how you want to fire. They're in control of you. Pardon? You want to fire the way you want to fire. Right. Other people fire differently than I would fire. And you're going to get works that look totally different out of two different kilns. Right. If it's the same clay body. And yeah. And the person who it has just the, had to do with 
the person who has the kiln gets to make the choice. Yeah. So, um, I've watched Carl Beamer fire. Um, I've never helped. Um, yeah, just having control of one's own work. How long did it take was you the to key there? How long did it take you to get your kiln going? Get it built. Um, I I had a gentleman dig the hole in June of two thousand three. And it's so me... smart. <laughs> Digging with a shovel. <laughs> yeah, that's I can how tell it you. Worked. Don't I do it that admire way. I you for that one. <laughs> but go ahead. But I had a guy dig the hole, what, June of 2003. Slowly got, you know, like 2B stone in there, then concrete sand on top of that. You got what kind of stone? stone? Uh, 2B. It's stone that's that about two in- one to two inches in diameter. Oh, oh. I. Okay, little what basically stones like giant gravel. Yeah, um, so yeah, like yeah, I call them two B. Then concrete sand, which is a kind of packing sand that they use generally for concrete. Mm-hmm. It's stony and it it just when it gets wet, it packs hard and stays hard. Right. So that was like the underbase, and so I started building. I built the front wall that fall and let the front wall set. And then came back that spring of 2004, started building my form, and then it was just, you know... So when... Once I got the form up, you know, started putting the brick up. Let me interrupt one second. When you say you had the front wall set, what did you build that out of? Was Um, that refractory concrete, or...? No, the front wall was made out of, uh, what were they... They were three inch by four and a half inch by thirteen and a half inch uh, straights. Okay. With it's the picture on MySpace, the real intricate brickwork. Right. And okay, so so you're just letting the mortar set. Yeah, I put a thin skim of refractory. Mo- I mean, just a thin skim, which that is all. I mean, that's only for setting. I've never really had any real bonding of it after it's fired and and then you built uh then you built a frame for building the kiln body is that what you were saying yeah i built a frame in the spring and then over the period you know spring summer and fall um put brick up row by row and had to contemplate you know what type what angle brick that i use because i had to go through what 18 pallets of brick and I've literally, I don't think there's hardly any straight bricks in the form of the actual kiln. <laughs> I you, think they're all angle brick. You, you got these, um, tell me about the bricks. Um, the brick is a funny story. I guess it was probably fall of 2002, I would think. Um I literally went dumpster diving at Bloomsburg University. <laughs> they had this huge, like, I don't know, I, I don't know if it's 10 or 15 or 20-yard dumpster just sitting there on the sidewalk, and I drove past, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's fire brick in there. So I swung around, I ran inside, I'm like, where's the contractor at? They're, like, over there. And I'm like, can I back my truck up to this dumpster and take these brick? Sure, kid, every brick you take, that's less I got to pay for because I'm paying by weight. And I think I made two trips, maybe even three trips. And um, 
yeah, I took them home, and I was I was proud of these brick. I'm like, wow, I got these brick. I'm gonna you know build a build an anagama, and it may have even been October of 2002 I got these or 2001. I'm not sure because it was before I had all the major brick. Mm-hmm. But um, so I take them home. I'm all proud, and looking back, I mean they're used brick. They're pretty beat up, sure. but I used them, and. Like the next year, it must have been 2001 because then in 2002, I must have went back because I saw the contractors were there again and um, I didn't go dumpster diving, but I did call down to the place in Reading and ask for the guy and I'm like, I see you guys are at the university again. He's like, you're that guy that wants to build a kiln from Bloomsburg. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, he's like, I got all these brick down here. He's like, why don't you come down and look at them? So I'm like really excited, like beside myself. So <laughs> I think I drove down like the next day or two days later, just like, I got to do it, do it. Like almost like psycho obsessed at sure. this point because I'm like fire brick. I drive down there and I'm thinking, yeah, this guy might have three, four pallets of brick. And he takes me out into the yard and he points and I mean, when he points, my eyes lit up. It was like I won the lottery. There was like <laughs> 18 pallets of brick to choose from. And I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? I'm like, do I take two pallets, three pallets, four pallets? So I think at the end of the day, I'm like, well, can you deliver like two or three or four pallets with your little truck? And, you know, I'll pay for delivery. And so I drive home. It's like two hours, two hours and 20 minutes back home. Mm-hmm. contemplate and contemplate and I'm like screw it I'm like I'll take them all so I call him the next day <laughs> I'm like I'll take them all well, he's like well you gotta get a truck so then I'm calling all over the next day trying to find some local freight company that has a flatbed tractor trailer sure. sure. so finally there's this guy he's like yeah I got a truck coming up through so I literally met the flatbed tractor trailer like I probably the next week, maybe not even, maybe even like four or five days later. And we load them up down there and get them back to my house. Well, you got to understand that when you come down our road in a tractor trailer, mm-hmm. there's nowhere to turn around. It's barely a one and a half lane road, right? But you drive both ways on it, right? So he gets down there and. The freight guy came over with a skidster with forks on the front of it, and you got to unload the brick and, like, drive down a driveway. Well, I think we got about four or six pallets unloaded, and the pallets were heavy because we were starting getting into they're these, bricks. Like, six, six by nines by threes. And these things probably weigh good 14 pounds apiece. And he's, like, driving forward down the uh, driveway, and he almost... The whole skidster almost flies forward. Right. So we have to start unloading and splitting pallets in half. And, you know, a couple hours later, an aggravation on my part and his part. And we get them done. I mean, yeah, 18 pallets of high alumina brick delivered. Minimal For charge. How much did it cost you to have them delivered? 450 bucks. <laughs> 450 bucks for a flatbed of bricks. Yeah, so you imagine the retail Yeah, you won the lottery. Yeah, I didn't exactly win, you know, Powerball, but 
I won, I don't know, cash five. I think that's as good as you're ever going to win, ever. Yeah, I, I don't mean I to be pessimistic, much. but I think you just, I think you got your luck. <laughs> but uh, I got to go further to go off on a little tangent. Finding brick uh, last year at the end of the firing, there was a free for free ad in the newspaper, and it said free fire brick. And I'm like, yeah, this person really probably doesn't know that they're probably just red house brick or something. I go over to this little old lady's house. God love her. I'm still doing side work for. Her. I go over and there's like. I don't know, like 600, 700 fire brick, like four or 500 straights and like two or 300, you know, angle brick. I brought them home in like two days after I fired. And then she had other red brick that I've just used, like 750 of them to landscape more around the kiln. Yeah, they make great but, pavers. Yeah, they are. They're wonderful. But to boot, that that is my brick story to date. If I find more brick, God love me, because I want to build another kiln. What do, you, what do you think you want to build? I want to build a smaller kiln, something more like, you know, what you and I have been talking about, your kiln size, more like the Michio kiln. Right. So Even that, I want to build a smaller one. I want to have one that, I want to have my barbecue kiln, you know, the one I can fire in a weekend. Yeah. Just, just That'd just be easy and fun. Yeah. So that's my brick story. How long does it take you to load your kiln? Um, comfortably, I would like to take five days because then I don't have to work, you know, like 10-hour days. But the past two firings, the both the fall 2004 and the fall 2005, I took four days to load it. Anagamas are kind of hard shapes to calculate. Do you have a guesstimate of what kind of space you have inside there? I've still been trying to figure this out because, <laughs> like, um, I'm definitely over 100 cubic feet, but I don't know. I don't know if I run into the, you know, 150, 200. The, it's really hard to figure it out. Yeah, it is. It's all, it's all curves and angles. There's, there are no square cubes, yeah, square I'm lines, sure if straight I, lines. I'm sure if I sat down and gridded out the floor and gridded out each foot, I could figure it out. But I just haven't done that yet. So we'll say it's 100 square feet plus. Or cubic. Yeah, cubic. Because you figure if you get 11 feet of stackable space, if it ranges from 6 feet to, like, we'll say 14 inches, so 6 feet to 1 foot average is 3 feet, you know, width, 4 feet width. Four feet high, maybe it is 160. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I could be totally wrong. I'm not good at figuring that stuff out. Talk I know it's too it's too big for me to fill right now by myself. Yeah, every year. Yeah, that's that's why I want to build the party kiln. You know, something that's something that realistically something that I could fill on a weekend's worth of throwing and fire yeah. the next weekend. You know, just yeah. throw the stuff one weekend, fire it the next. It'd just be fun. You know, invite some people over and barbecue, drink beer, and fire off the little yeah. kiln. Absolutely. The party kiln. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Clarion University in Pennsylvania, they're pretty much, they're known as a party kiln. Oh, really? I was out there one weekend for their firing. Pretty cool guy. A guy's name is Gary Greenberg that was the professor out there when I was out there. 
Um, don't know if he's still there, though. Does some crazy stuff. Um, tin foil firings and these, like, uh, charcoal grills. It's really neat. Oh, tin, you know, one time, long time ago, when I was really jonesing for some pottery action, I uh, bought a bag of clay and then I, I fired some stuff in my in my little Weber on the yeah, that's balcony pretty, yeah. porch of my apartment. Yeah. You know, using charcoal and a, um, one of those, you know, those, uh, uh, like stovepipe charcoal lighters with the holes at the bottom. Yeah. I had a coffee can. I put the pottery in the coffee can with a bunch of coffee. It was lousy coffee. <laughs> put that in the middle with charcoal underneath and charcoal on top and used, uh, I don't know, different random things to like close it down and different. I still have the thing. It, it came out, yeah. kinda, came out kind of interesting, all black, jet black, but it fired. But I mean, you can make, you can make a kiln anywhere out of anything. I think personally, Absolutely. they're not a kiln. Isn't it's not a hard thing. It's just you need a box and a way to put pottery in the box and a way to put heat in the box, and That's right. you got and a kiln. some sort of heat retention, or just a lot more heat. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> but um, I forgot. Oh, I forgot my train of thought there for a second. We were talking uh, about lo- we were talking about loading your kiln. Yeah. Oh. Tell tell me what you do when you're loading. What kinds of things are you thinking about? What kinds of things are you physically doing? You know, is it fun? Um I find loading very tedious, very mentally stressful. But it's kind of like putting a jigsaw puzzle together that mm-hmm. you have, you know, you have all the pieces. But you put the pieces together in such a way that you make your own puzzle. So you're always looking, you know, when you start at the back, am I stacking it too loose, too tight? And last year I finally took the time as I loaded shelves. I physically cut with a diamond blade on my circular saw every shelf so it fit exactly perfect from side to side in my kiln. So eventually, you know, all my kiln shelves will go back in the same way every time. As long as you don't forget the order. I know. Right now I'm I'm at that point. They're all downstairs. They were never cleaned, all put back against the wall. And I'm like, well, this is going to be fun when I go back to load because I'm going to have to sit them all out. Then I'm going to have to, like, have multiple posts in the kiln and be like, you know, what goes where? Yeah, but you'll never, uh, you'll never, my kiln's smaller, and I have less shelves, and I did the same thing, yeah. and I can't remember how they go back. <laughs> I, they, w- they went great the first firing, and I've never gotten them in <laughs> right since. Yeah. Oh, wow. But I just try to keep pretty even spacing from front to back. Um, I think the past two times I might have stacked the back a little too tight, I think. Because I've been, you know, waffling on cone 9, cone 10 there in the back. I've never had a true cone 10 drop in the back of my kiln. So I want to get that at least a cone 10. If I can get an 11 to bend, I'd be happy. Let's talk about your your firing for a little while. Um, just, okay. just start from the very beginning. You know, right after you've, you've finished loading the kiln, what, what do you do? Um... Generally take a little break, 
and then come out about two hours later. And I do, I do no preheating with propane. If I know it's going to get cold at night, I will put a propane in from load night to the next day and try and just keep it above freezing in there. Right. But from the get-go, I'm using wood to uh, start my uh, kiln. So I'm starting it outside on a little pad, and I'm bringing it in through only the center air at the bottom. So I have the top fire mouth closed, and I have the two bottom airs closed. And on the pad outside, I'm literally, you know, twigs not even a quarter of the size of your little finger. And, I mean, you're starting out with, like, wow, a minute fire, and then just slowly over about a 12-hour period making it bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. Um, As my charcoal begins to add up, I'll push it to the inside of the bottom uh, fire mouth underneath my grate. And once I get a pretty good-sized bed in the center... I'll open up the two other side airs, spread out that charcoal bed, and then I'll have flame going in through all three of my air inlets at the bottom, but my fire is still outside of my kiln. Um, Probably at 16 hours, once I get enough flame that it's going, you know, underneath the 13 and a half inches that's the brick wall and Mm -hmm. starting to lick up above... um, you know, the great area, I'll push the fire all the way in um, and I'll keep it to the center and I'll close my other two side airs again. And then when I get some pretty good flame, maybe a foot, foot and a half above the grate, I'll start throwing large logs onto the top of the grate. And then I would say by 24 hours, I'm totally inside the kiln, running off the center air from the bottom and throwing wood in through the upper fire mouth. Then just slowly trying to bring that up without letting the flame get too aggressive and start, you know, hitting pots before it needs to and cracking them. Right. Just, you know, slow, steady fire, very careful. Um, Because most of what I fired of my own work in last year's firing was all greenware. Mm-hmm. And from here on out, all I will be firing is greenware. Yeah. It, so I, it's going to be very slow, tedious, careful process getting it up over, you know, what do we got, quartz inversion and all that, yeah. up to red heat. I I really haven't had any issues with um, with firing greenware. It's just it's just easier, you know. Yeah, because, because you, just fire you don't have once. to... Yeah, I mean, electric is expensive. Well, and I don't even have enough electricity at the kiln to run an electric uh, okay. kiln. Um, but aside from that, it's, you know, it's two, it's loading one kiln, then unloading it, then loading another, then unloading it. It's, right. It it doubles your work. Um, yeah. And you're going to do the slow heat up anyway. And there's, you have no choice you're going to do a slow heat up because an anagama is so massive. You know, you have all the mass of that bricks of the bricks, the ground, the surrounding ground. Um, right. It's going to heat up slowly whether you want it to or not. So, you know, might as well just kill two birds with one stone. Um, In one... I, I use... Now, I use a, the propane burner, but, you know, I'm lazier than you. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, I think that just uh, I think that just really kind of dries out the kiln and the wadding for the most part and kind of gets right. stuff ready. I'd, I don't think that does anything more than a good, you know, broil in your oven. It's just a right. it's a small <laughs> Raku burner. I think it's 115,000 BTUs or something like that. Okay. But. Well, let's see. Um, probably takes me two days to get it up to red heat. But then once I reach red heat, um, it seems to accelerate pretty rapidly up to about cone eight, cone nine by the end of uh, day three. Mm-hmm. And then just let it, you know, get up over 10, 11, and drop 12 probably by day five. And then whatever I get after that's bonus. Yeah. Then, like, first firing was eight days. I think we got cone 11 at the leading edge in the front. Last year's firing, like I said, probably totally overfired. Like I said, probably easy 13, maybe 14, who knows, 15, I don't know. What do you like about firing? I really like the volatility. I like interacting with the kiln. I like watching it, you know, come alive. I really, I mean, it's awesome. And the fact that, you know, flame can be so creative and the fact it just... The fact that ash melts into a liquid just, it's mystifying. I mean, let's take a tree, burn it, and then watch the ash just liquefy onto a pot and give you this great glossy sheen. Or if it doesn't melt totally, you know, this nice, you know, kind of crusty stuff. And I just like the fact that I have to give up, you know, control. I have to give up control of what my work is going to look like. I mean, I'm not just dipping my works in glaze and watching the glaze melt and watch, you know, a hundred of the same blue cups come out. Um, I'm looking at a hundred different works that are totally different. No two are alike, even with the same clay body. I mean, it's just crazy. It's, that's, it's, I guess it just, it sounds kind of goofy, but I just, it's awesome. It's, it's totally nuts. How do you feel, or or tell me about your emotional state from the moment you close up the kiln when the firing's done till the moment you can open it? What do you like in that cooling down period? Mm, right after the firing, I'm extremely exhausted. Uh-huh. So generally, it's just close it up, get it closed up. And crash. Um, yeah, and crash. Yeah. And then... It takes me a few days to come down, and I guess the first week, you know, you just can't open it. It's too hot. I would say by, what, about a, a week and a half, do you go, do you, I'm starting to go nuts. Do you go out and I, I want to peek in. Okay. Do you um, some t- Yeah, I can pull. I have <laughs> side-stoking ports that I could use if I really wanted to. I can pull them and look down on them. And then I have two other blowholes that I could look down in. Um, but I, ref- I, I, until like the day before, the day before I might crack open that front door just to take a peek in. The first firing, oh, this is so bad. 
It still must have been 150, <laughs> 160 in the uh-huh. kiln. I am jonesing to see what's going on. Uh-huh. So I opened the door with the neighbor kid. Neighbor kid was 19, 20 at the time. Okay. And I saw some crazy looking stuff. Okay, remember that the hole is probably only 11 by 11 square. Right. And the kiln is 150 degrees, give or take. Right. I shove him through the front hole, close the door <laughs> behind him. Give him <laughs> I give him nothing but a flashlight, and I tell him to give me certain pieces. And he's in there going, dude, I'm dying. I'm dying. I can't stand it. Finally, I'm like, fine, give me the pieces. Hands me the pieces, and I won't even let them into the air. Like, I gave him a blanket to wrap them in. So we pulled out, I don't know, three or four pieces, and then we took them inside. We left them in the blanket for about an hour, and we pulled them out. And I was just like, he could have killed me. I mean, that's the worst. How old did you But say I think was? the more I... The more I fire, I think the less anxious I'm going to be. Did you say he was 19 or 9 or 10? Probably 19 or 20. 19 or 20? Okay. Yeah. And he fit through this little hole? Yeah, he That's did. That's skinny He's, kid. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, oh, he was so mad. I mean, he came out, he was <laughs> wringing wet from head to toe. His clothes were soaked. He could have killed me, but I got to see some crazy pottery. So, Mike, when are you firing next? Um, I will be firing the April of 2007. Uh, should start everything up on April 20th. And I had been planning on a 10-day firing, and I'm probably going to back off to a 7-day firing because I'm moving the bag wall forward two feet, so it's going to take less work. And um, I just want to see how it fires. Plus, I've been really happy with my 7-day firings. So I think, you know, just reflecting on everything the past couple of days, 10 is just too many hmm. for uh, days fired. How many people do you think you need to fire it? Um, right now I have two definites. I have one maybe, and four or five other people would be a great help. In the off chance that anyone actually listens to this podcast and they're available or near western Pennsylvania, how would they get in contact with you? Um, best way is by email at drippyashpots at yahoo.com. That's D-R-I-P-P-Y-A-S-H-P-O-T-S at yahoo.com. Now, how how quickly do you think you're going to get back to people who write to you? Um, being that I don't have a computer right now since mine got whacked by lightning a couple of weeks ago, um, no later than one week. Okay. Um, yeah, because I can go to a local university and just, you know, sit on their computer one day a week and do emails and stuff. And actually, I will probably call people back. So if you contact me, leave a telephone number. That makes sense. It's so much nicer to talk to a real person. Email is so impersonal. It just, I want to have that extra, you know, human touch. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I just, I, I guess I'm still a creature of, you know, old habits. Yeah, I'm a geek by nature, so you diss an email is kind of... Them's fighting words. I know. Well, the funny thing is, what well, we're using Skype, so this is, you know, audio chat, which is pretty awesome to me. You're using Skype, got two computers, little microphone dealies. It's nifty. Lots of gadgets. Fun. It's, it's, this is going to replace the phone company someday. <laughs>